It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. My bad. No, I'm saying what happened uh, where we're playing Born in the USA. Little USA victory. Oh, okay. I know that, hey, I don't know nothing about soccer, but I'm still pulled for USA. And apparently the Iran win was a big win. No, well, it was a huge win because it got us into the uh, into the knockout stages. Uh, the way World Cup play works, there's a little group play, and then the top two teams from each group advance. And uh, due to the USA's win today, 38th-minute goal by Captain America Christian Pulisic. The U.S. is advanced to the knockout stage against the Dutch. Yeah, I I don't know anything about soccer, but I really wish we beat England. England talks a lot of junk. This isn't even our favorite sport. This isn't even top four sports when it goes to America. We gave them all they could handle. I love that. Anyways, welcome into the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Barm filling in for Patrick Johnson as he gets set for the call later on tonight on ESPN+. Plus Between the ECU Pirates and South Carolina State on the hardwood, that comes your way 7 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Patrick Johnson with Sai Seymour. They always do a great job. And we're doing a special hour-and-a-half edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. We call it the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. So we lead you in the network coverage at 6.30 with the voice of the Pirates, Jeff Charles. And Coach Michael Perry, who will be joining us in a couple of minutes here at 520. Um, definitely looking forward to having him on. He's been a great asset to the broad, broadcast this year as a color guy. Very knowledgeable about the Pirates and very knowledgeable about college basketball in general. So definitely looking forward to talking to him uh, after a timeout here a little bit later on. But first, looking at Pirate basketball, 5-2 and two on the season. Took a tough loss to o- ODU on the road after playing in an MTE event in the Gulf Coast Showcase down in Estero, Florida, against some pretty good teams. Um, Indiana State has proven to be a solid team, 6-1 and one on the season, um, took a loss there. And they beat Toledo, who coming into that game was receiving coaches' poll votes and AP votes. And uh, Toledo was coming into the tournament, I believe, the fourth-best scoring offense in the country. And then coming into that game against ECU was the 11th-best scoring offense in the country. So for ECU to get that win was huge. I liken it to if ECU would have beat Liberty last year, I kind of compare it to that. If ECU beat Liberty last year, it would have been very similar to getting a win over Toledo this year. Nonetheless, Pirates doing pretty well. I think surprising a lot of people so far in non-conference play. Uh, Team picked last in the conference, which I think is insane considering USF is still coached by Brian Gregory. But nonetheless, ECU um, showing out. I think they look improved compared to last year's roster, to be quite honest, when it comes to shooting and defense. Um, and not to say the shooting has been great for the Pirates, but when they get going in the second half especially, they shoot lights out and capitalize on defensive opportunities. It's just a matter of seeing that across the board in two halves of basketball. And uh, once that happens, I think this Pirate team can be dangerous. Um, taking a look at South Carolina State later tonight, 0-7 on the season. 
but a really good offensive rebounding team. Uh, they lost a lot of their returners from last year due to – this is a weird thing when I was doing my research on South Carolina State. So they had a coach last year. Let me get his name here. Um, only coached there for one year. Last year was his only year. Tony Madlock um, was the coach for the South Carolina State last year. And his first year led them to 15-16 and 16 on the season, 7-7 seven and seven in conference play, which was good enough for fifth in the MEAC. And he dipped, took a job at Alabama State. I don't know if it was a money thing or what exactly the controversy is there. Um, as you can imagine, South Carolina State basketball coverage is not great. It's hard to kind of get those answers. Um, but they also lost their leading scorer to Antonio Madlock. Uh, nonetheless, this Bulldogs team, despite being a winless, um, I don't want to say it's a trap game, but it could be a dangerous game for the Pirates um, just because they're really good at offensive rebounding. Um, they're in the upper echelon of the country when it comes to offensive rebounds a game and total offensive rebounds a game. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Looking forward to this matchup. This is a game that can get it out of hand quickly or a game that could be competitive. And the parts might uh, – it might be a little bit of – I don't want to say a trap game, but it might be very competitive tonight. It might surprise a lot of people. Well, I think the biggest reason that South Carolina State stands a chance to keep this one close is seven road games so far – and yes. they've played at Wake, at South Carolina, and at Kentucky. So they're very used to playing against hostile crowds and you know against good ball clubs. Yeah, and uh, don't uh, don't sleep on Western Kentucky out of Conference USA. Conference USA turned out to be so far non-conference play this early in the season. Turned out to be a pretty competitive conference. Um, obviously, you got UAB in there, and then you got Western Kentucky among a couple of other teams. But Western Kentucky six and one on the season. Had some pretty good wins, so that was another loss they suffered. They have probably one of the tougher non-conference schedules I've seen from a small school like that uh, in the country so far. They also have to play Furman a little bit later on. As we know, Furman kind of been a tournament fixture here of late, so there's no uh, there's no rest for this uh, South, South Carolina State Bulldogs team. They also played South Carolina at the beginning of the year and gave the Gamecocks all they can handle. And not to say that the Gamecocks are a great team, but for a, a opponent the caliber of South Carolina State to beat an SEC opponent like South Carolina would have been huge for them. And the fact that they uh, kept them competitive in that game is definitely, I think, pretty impressive, especially under a first-year head coach, also with a team that's been rocked by the transfer portal. More on South Carolina State a little bit later on, but a couple quick notes from Pirate Nation going on right now. The biggest news that just broke from Xavier Smith on his Twitter Alluding to the fact that he's probably not going to play in whatever bowl game the Pirates will end up in. It's looking like Fenway against Syracuse here of late with the recent bowl projections. You know, a lot can change, but that seems to be the consensus right now. And uh, Xavier Smith posted, due to circumstances I've been placed in beyond my control, I've now decided to transition my focus to finally get completely healthy, both mentally and physically. So that tells me he's banged up, he's hurt and he can't play in the bowl game. He never said that he couldn't play in the bowl game, but the way he closes it, I will forever bleed purple and gold. I am grateful for it all. So that tells me he's done. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. You just hope that the reason he's done is is not something catastrophic. In there he mentioned, you know, due to some circumstances outside of my control. So you just hope that it's nothing too serious, and uh, obviously we wish him the yeah. best. I, I'm thinking it's injury. Uh, we do know Xavier Smith was dealing with some injuries throughout the season. But um, that's a guy that I think can play pro ball. And I don't necessarily mean the NFL, but with all these alternative leagues that are popping up where you can make a living playing football now, 
uh, with the XFL and the USFL. I wouldn't be surprised to see Xavier Smith pop up in those leagues. A very experienced linebacker with the Pirates had some pretty good years with us. Um, obviously, his leadership uh, goes without saying on the defensive end. So Xavier Smith uh, calling it calling it a career for the ECU Pirates. Definitely sad to see him go, but nonetheless a great Pirate. One of those seniors that stuck it out through the Scotty Mo era, stuck it in with Coach Houston, and got this program on the right track getting the back-to-back bowl games, um, something that seemed impossible under Scotty Moe. And all the hats off to him. Congratulations, my friend, on a great career with the Pirates. Sad to see him go. Um, yeah, Xavier Smith, great linebacker. And um, it'll be interesting to see what the development is on that moving forward. Also, something, the uh, a quick note here, um, coming from ECU Volleyball, Angeles Alderte, uh, freshman for ECU Volleyball, making the all-conference freshman team. And he, she made second team all-conference in general. So definitely a big congrats to her and ECU Volleyball. ECU Volleyball getting on the right track under Adler Augustine. Definitely good to see and support these smaller uh, sports around ECU. Uh, always support those smaller sports. There's more than just football, basketball, and uh, baseball, people. Hey, these, these, these sports need some love as well. Um, taking a quick look at what's going on in college basketball as we speak. Houston, the new number one in the country, which uh, if you remember, Philip, when I had Brian Moe on, I believe, if it, was it last week when we had him on or the week before? Yeah, it was the week before Thanksgiving. So, so early weeks, on, yeah. I was calling for them to be the pre, not the preseason number one, but the number one team in the country just because there's not a lot of holes on that team. And they're a very experienced group with a lot of high-level scores. And obviously, I think Kelvin Sampson's probably – uh, one of the top five best coaches in college basketball. I don't think that's a uh, ridiculous statement to put out there. And uh, you look at the level of competition in the American. This is a team that's going to be battle-hardened going into uh, the NCAA tournament. That's a uh, factor in the fact they do make it to the NCAA tournament. But all signs point to that they will make it, um, just based on what we know about Houston and how this team's looking right now. But I think this is the best Houston team that Kelvin Sampson's ever had. I don't know if that's a ridiculous statement or not, but I fully 100% believe that. Oh, I definitely agree it's the best. Uh, and I know you can't just go off AP rankings. Yep. This is the first time they've been ranked number one since 1983. I would yeah. say lost in the national championship to NC State that year. But, no, this is definitely the best team, and it was for all those reasons you brought up there. And the biggest one being experience. So many teams in college basketball right now, uh, you know, to look no further than Duke over the last, what, 10 years yeah. is that it's a bunch of one and done guys or a guy who may play two years and you, when you look at a team like Houston where these guys have not only been there for a while but they've had success in the tournament I definitely think that makes them one of the favorites you know not only in this conference but moving forward into March as well and that's kind of been the consistent uh, consensus across the American right now you look at the teams that are expected to thrive in the American it's all because they're very experienced I mean hell even Temple has a lot of seniors on their roster right now um, and Temple, don't get me started on Temple, one of the most frustrating teams to watch out of the American this year. They'll beat Villanova and then take a loss to a D2 school before that. And that definitely sucks that Kinston native Damian Dunn's on that team, balling out of control, and it's not really equating to nothing so far. But looking at Houston so far, you take a look at this roster. Marcus Sasser, who's uh, kind of an early candidate, for the American Conference Player of the Year, averaging 17, 3.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists. But something that's also stand out about this roster to me is the fact you have some really highly touted freshmen coming in and automatically producing. 
um, take a look at the forward of uh, freshman forward Jerace Walker, six foot eight, uh, from Pennsylvania, went to IMG Academy, was the eighth, the eighth best prospect um, out of high school in the 2022 class, and right away the second leading scorer of ten and a half points, six point eight rebounds, and one point three assists. Well, very well rounded game on his part, and just a very lengthy team in general. A lot of guys that are six five, six seven, six eight. Um, and the rebounding numbers show that. Very balanced rebound and across the board from their starters to their bench. And uh, as we know, rebounding can really set you apart. We've seen that with the Pirates here recently. can really set you apart and uh, win you ball games. And uh, that's been the case for Houston so far. So definitely a team to look out for. 6-0 and so far on the season. Have not played in conference play, obviously. But uh, definitely good to see them or the American get a little bit of love and see them get the uh, number one nod. Even if it's early in the season, I think that's a team that absolutely deserved it. I didn't know how long they were going to keep preaching Carolina's the number one when they clearly didn't deserve it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those things, you're number one and then you're number one until you get beat. The problem was if they played anybody worth the darn, they were going to get beat because the way they had been playing, and we saw what happened. Uh, you know, I can't make too much fun. My Blue Devils did lose to Purdue over the weekend. Yeah. Purdue's but, uh, a good solid program. Purdue, yeah, I mean, yeah. they jumped up to number five. They just beat Gonzaga a couple days before. So, you know, but Carolina, there you go. I mean, they lose two games in a weekend, and uh, I, th- I thought it was fun to watch them lose in football and in basketball oh, in, yeah. the, in about a five-minute span. Five minute that was span. a wonderful. Carolina uh, fans were not happy yeah. about that one. But, uh, yeah, Purdue, just it, just a quick note on Purdue here. Purdue's a funny team because during the regular season, they have a solid regular season, and then every, like, college basketball media pundit is like, look out for this team in the NCAA tournament, and they always disappoint. They always fall short. No, they do. And uh, you wonder, though, why? Because you brought up rebounding earlier, and with them, they've always been a really good rebounding team. Obviously, they have Zach Eady. I believe he's, like, 7'2". And he's a big physical presence inside. That's kind of what lifted them over Duke. Yep. And um, so you wonder why that's the case. You know, I I don't know. Maybe it's a Brian Mole question. But you're right that it, they do always get the hype. And sure enough, come March, it's a Sweet 16 exit at, at best. I miss Mole. I kind of wish we had him on today. He was great last time we had him on. But uh, looking at the conference standings so far, and obviously this is based on just total uh, records so far since there's been no conference play matchups. Central Florida, number two, Brandon Suggs averaging eight for Central Florida. Not bad. That's a team that also has a lot of seniors, believe it or not. And it's not seniors that are returning. It's a lot of seniors they got from the portal. Johnny Dawkins' kind of approach to that Central Florida team was, I got two really good freshmen on this team who are going to kind of carry the scoring load. Let's just fill out the rest of the roster of experience. Not necessarily highly touted seniors, but guys that have proven they can be the guy elsewhere at smaller schools. And that's how he's kind of built this roster. And so far, faring pretty well um, at 5-2 and two and second in the conference. ECU third in the conference, also at 5-2. and two. Tulane, who was a preseason darling out of the American coming into the season, 5-2 um, and two so far. Tulane has four really good scores on that team in Kevin Cross, um, Jalen Forbes, Jalen Cook, and Galloway. All very good players, and that is a dangerous team. I wouldn't be surprised if we get in the conference play and it makes Excuse me, and they make things interesting with Houston. I mean that would that would not shock me whatsoever because they can shoot from beyond the arc, especially uh, Jalen Cook, and they have the high level forwards that can play inside as well. And they're a really good rebounded team with a good coach in Ron Hunter. And what I like about them is their experience. You know, a lot of those guys that you just named, the Pirates had to play against a year ago. 
you know, I believe both the Jalens were there. Yep. Um, and then uh, Kevin Cross was there Kevin, as well. Yeah, Kevin Cross is a junior. Yep. Let's see. Um, kind of, I got that rush. I can't remember. Uh, Forbes is a junior, and Cook is a sophomore. So, uh, you know, they've been there. They've done that. Um, I think Tulane was a pleasant surprise last year in the league. Yeah. And uh, they've got their core group back to uh, continue to progress them throughout this season. And Colin Holloway, excuse me, was his name, not Galloway, but he's a transfer from Georgetown. He's averaging 14 and a half. And you look elsewhere, they got guys averaging 18 and a half, 18, 16.4, and 10.7. Looking at the rosters in the Americans so far, there's no other team that is getting that kind of production from their starting five right now. So definitely dangerous. The one knock on them is they don't have a lot of production coming off the bench. They rely heavy on that starting five. Not a lot of depth outside of that starting five. So it'll be interesting to see how they fared purely just depth-wise. But like you said, have a lot of experience on this roster, a lot of juniors, no seniors, but a ton of juniors and a lot of scoring and a lot of the minutes that were played last year is returning this year. Didn't get rocked by the portal. So Tulane is building something there, not only in football, but in basketball. And uh, I'm, they're fun to watch. I'm interested to see how they do. Another team that was a preseason darling in Memphis, this shocked me, Memphis, a team that's usually known for one and duns and getting guys to the NBA, um, even in the past actually has a lot of seniors this year, counting it right here off the top of my head. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven seniors on this roster for Memphis. Something we're not used to when it comes to the Tigers. So far, they are four and two on the season under Penny Hardaway. And um, they got uh, Kendrick Davis, the reigning AAC Player of the Year, picking up where he left off. Um really in the run for the AC Player of the Year once again are trying to make a case, uh, averaging 19.5 points, four rebounds, and five and a half assists. And you look at that and you think, all right, he's the guy on that team. Believe it or not, he's not the guy they're relying heavy on. The guy they're relying heavy on is their senior forward who plays at the five in DeAndre Williams, who's been with Memphis. He averages 13.7.3 rebounds and two and a half assists. But that's a guy they're expecting to kind of really carry the load and be the leader and it's a matter of he can handle that kind of pressure and uh, live up to that hype that the coaching staff has put on him and the fans have put on him. Because if that guy's not rolling, this Memphis team I don't think is going to get very far and might actually shock a lot of people on how they kind of underachieved this year, much like last year. DeAndre Williams, a guy to look forward to. And if you can look on anybody on this roster and say this guy has a chance to go pro, he has a better chance of going pro and going to the NBA than Kendrick Davis does, believe it or not. Uh, which is, might surprise a lot of people, but just look at Adam and the priests and the claim and hype he's getting. He's a guy a lot of people have a lot of eyes on right now. So Memphis, preseason darling, 4-2 and two so far. And then the team that's really disappointed, the team that a lot of people thought would make this a four-bid league for the NCAA tournament is Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati so far, I believe, is 3-3. Three and three. Let me check that. 4-3 and three so far. Uh, that's good enough for... Seventh in the conference so far in the standings. Obviously, it's early. But Cincinnati um, has a weird kind of approach to basketball, and they have a weird style of play. They're aggressive on defense, very aggressive, like almost to the point you're worried they're going to get in foul trouble, like right off the gate. But they're very deep. They play a lot of press defense. Uh, they force a lot of turnovers. And when they get the ball, their approach is score quickly so we can get back on the defensive end and just keep. They're just, they have a very at your throat type of approach going down there in Cincinnati and um, that's uh you're walking a fine line there obviously you got to have guys that have really good conditioning a really good stamina 
But uh, it's something that could be very dangerous, not only in conference play, but if that's a team that does get in the NCAA tournament, that's a team that they can get exposed due to that style of play or can expose a lot of people and pull off some upsets due to that style of play. Your conditioning has to be on point. That's, once again, another team that's a very experienced group, have about 70% of their minutes played returning this year and about 76% of their scoring from last year returning. Obviously, the big guys Pirate fans will be familiar with. Jeremiah Davenport and David DeJulius returning back and uh, picking up where they left off. But really, Landers Nolly, who is the Memphis transfer, who played at Virginia Tech, averaged double digits there, had a disappointing season with Memphis last year, transferred to Cincinnati and is the leading scorer of 16 points. Um, definitely somebody to keep an eye on, a lengthy guard for Cincinnati. Um, not sold on Cincinnati. Mainly it's because of that style of play. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how they fare. All right, coming up on the other side of this quick timeout, Coach Michael Perry will dive a little bit, a little deeper into this Pirate team as they get ready for South Carolina State later tonight. Michael Perry on the call of Jeff Charles on the radio broadcast, and they'll take over uh, coverage at 630. He's on the side right here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Barm filling in for the P-Man. Phil Bereff Pilkington on the ones and twos. And Chris Cook providing production assistance. That means that I'm not quite sure what he's doing. But anyways, Coach Michael Perry joining us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. He's been really great on the call of Jeff Charles this year on the radio broadcast for ECU basketball. Just want to gas Coach Michael Perry up here real quick. Been a great asset to the broadcast so far this year. Very knowledgeable, really great stuff there. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Good, good. It's good to hear from you. Let's just get right into it. Um, this is a Pirate team that didn't have a lot of expectations going in under Mike Schwartz, was picked last in the conference coming into the year. And I think they've surprised a lot of people in non-conference play. Got a really good win over Toledo in the Gulf Coast Showcase, played some tough opponents. Um, just what are your first impressions on this Pirate team based on what you've seen so far this year? Well, my first impression is uh... – the kids really compete hard. Yeah. They play hard. They compete hard. Uh, they're very cohesive. Um, they've got good body language. And um, so that's the first thing that's you know, obviously striking to me is just the, the cohesiveness as a group and how hard they play. And then the other thing is that uh, they're guys that are really stepping up, you know, that haven't had a lot of experience. Uh, quite frankly, just didn't play a lot. And yep. those guys have really stepped up and shown that they really did a lot of um, you know, player development uh, over the summer and the spring and, and gotten better. they become better players. Javon Small and R.J. Felton and, and uh, B.J. Um, I mean, those guys are really uh, playing at a high level, but it's because those guys have really worked hard in the offseason and made some strides. And, and then they got a coaching staff that's put a lot of faith in them. And when, you know, your staff believes in you, it, it, you know, it translates to the players and, and it's translating to their game. Absolutely. I completely agree, and it goes back to where you said they compete hard. I think a lot of those guys have a chip on their shoulder, the fact they didn't get a lot of play last year or kind of overlooked with the previous coaching staff. Like Javon Small is looking like an all-conference caliber player, and who would have thought that? Uh, R.J. Felton's had some really great games. Same with Brandon Johnson. More on Brandon Johnson a little bit. I think he's showcased ability to not only be a really good forward but stretch the floor a little bit when given the opportunity. So, I mean, I think – that definitely has given them a chip on the shoulder of the fact that they might have been overlooking this previous coaching staff, and the coaching staff now is believing in them and giving them those opportunities, and they're thriving right now, and it's really fun to watch 
uh, especially with this Pirate team this year so far in non-conference play. Um, yeah, on. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's early, but what I'm seeing looks like to be very sustainable, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I agree, I agree. It's a very uh, selfless approach on this basketball team right now. Going back to these games they previously played in non-conference play, let's talk a little bit about the Gulf Coast Showcase. As we know, behind the scenes, it was a little bit of the mess. Uh, just I don't know, they seemed very unorganized, the people that run that event. But that aside, played some tough opponents in that. Indiana State, uh, I think people might overlook Indiana State, a very lengthy and experienced team. Even their guards are lengthy, and I think that posed a lot of problems for the Pirates. And a lot of people might look at that game and say, same old Pirates, but that Indiana State team is good. Indiana State's a quality team and yep. a very experienced team, as you mentioned. Yep. And today, in today's game, experience pays dividends. I mean, the teams that are advancing, Absolutely. the teams that are winning their leagues, the teams that are advancing in NCAA tournament are teams typically that are very experienced. Not just talented, but experienced. Experience wins. Experience translates to Ws, typically. Yep. And uh, looking a little bit more into that Toledo win, Toledo going into that uh, tournament as a whole was receiving an AP poll. Uh, votes as well as coaches poll votes they came into that tournament with I believe the fourth best scoring offense in the country and into the ECU game the 11th best scoring offense for the Pirates to get a win over a team of that caliber and I know it's early but uh, that's definitely got to be a huge win they were picked to win the MAC um that's a team the part that's a game the Pirates normally don't win especially this early in non-conference play how huge of a win was that for that Pirate program especially early in the rebuild Great win, a great confidence builder. Uh, you can see the swagger just in the players, uh, their approach in the, in, in, to the game, the next game. They just had a swagger about them. Yep. Uh, so it was a great win in terms of confidence building. But, again, it's all a process, and you want to use this out-of-conference play to learn who you are and then also to be able to make improvements because, you know, the uh, <laughs> the conference play is coming eventually. Yep. So you want to use this as an opportunity to get better and to build upon it. You have a strong foundation, obviously, uh, that you build in the preseason, and then you just continue to build upon that and, uh, and and win games along along the way of actually getting better. And what I liked about that Toledo game is the fact that, you know, the parts, kind of the big critique on the parts so far is they're slow starters and they're like the best second-half team you've ever seen. But in that team – or in that game, I think that was the first time we saw a full uh, two halves of really great basketball by the Pirates, and it seemed like the Pirates or the players on this team, it looked like they truly bought into what Mike Schwartz wanted to do, especially in that game. That was the game to me that showcased, all right, this team is bought in on the court, and they could be something dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it was good to see because, as you mentioned, they struggled in the first half, and some of that has been uh, turnovers contributing to uh, baskets for the other team. Sometimes live ball turnovers. Then also there's been some transition defense uh, issues also that yep. have uh, contributed to those first halves. And I think out of uh, maybe the first six games or so, I think out of five of them, they scored 50 points in the second half. Yep. So they've wow. been able to correct themselves in the second half. But uh, the reason why you see sometimes Coach Swartz was uh, a frown in his face after the after a win yeah. was because he knew that those he knew those are things that are going to have to be corrected and corrected sooner or later because if you don't you're going to have nights like ODU that are going to catch up with you. That's one of the things that Coach said after the game that some of the mistakes, some of the mishaps, some of the things that we've got away with 
finally caught up with us. So you're constantly trying to clean up, um, you know, those little little issues within a program that sometimes you know, the, the person sitting in the stands doesn't necessarily pay a lot of attention to. But believe me, the head coach does. And yeah. even though it was a win, he saw some things that were concerning, and he tried to get those things corrected before you met an opponent like ODU that's going to challenge you in different ways than all the other opponents did. They don't have the athleticism. They don't have the physicality. Yep. Uh, they don't have uh, sometimes the pedigree that an ODU program has. Yeah. These are the pre- uh, previous programs that we played. Yeah, I, that ODU game, um, a lot of people look at that. Another one where they say same old parts. But like you said, ODU actually has some pedigree. And much like Indiana State, it was a lengthy team that posed some problems, even at their guard position for the Pirates. Um, and you're coming off an MTE event. None of those events are easy to play in, no matter who you're playing. The fact you got to play a couple of basketball games back to back to back like that on like three days straight. Then you got the uh, holiday week, and you have to come back and play at ODU. And it was really their first true road test. Uh, it didn't really surprise me that the Pirates dropped that game. I, do, do you feel like maybe that was a little bit of a depleted ECU team, maybe mentally and physically coming into that game against ODU? Well, I thought that it was the first real road test yep. for the inexperienced group. So I it, agree. It, it was probably not completely overwhelmed, but certainly uh, that atmosphere. Uh, create, you, have, you, have to, you have to give some credit to the atmosphere also. Absolutely. Not just the Good turnout. But that type, of, that type of adverse atmosphere, they've never seen before. And I think some of that was reflected in some of the fumbles yep. and the miscues that we had out here on the floor. You know, that we haven't seen all season. But again, you're playing in a you know a beautiful arena, a spirited crowd, and uh, and a very good uh, opponent. And believe me, when people say just the same on Paris, you really can't say that when you talk about ODU because yeah. hey, most of the people in the Mid Atlantic area can say that because ODU is one of the better programs in this area. Absolutely, I mean, they probably have a winning record against VCU, University of Richmond, George Mason, um, UNC Charlotte. I mean, ODU probably over the last 40 years has a winning record against all those programs. Yeah. So that's a that's a really, really difficult task to go up there and beat that basketball team. I completely agree. Um, something that's really kind of like caught my attention, I love to hear in the post game, is we've been getting great games from Javon Small. And it seems like you've taken a liking to Javon Small. You loved his development. Uh, you loved his play. What about his play has been so effective? And uh, kind of what have been your impressions on Javon Small and the great play he's had here recently in non-conference play? Well, one of the things that really impressed me about him is, uh, you know, he, he has somewhat of a chip on his shoulder. He's playing with a lot of confidence. And that's mm-hmm. the first thing that's, uh, for me, that, 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 was, that was eye-catching, that he plays with a, a high level of confidence. And then some of the shots that he's making. Yeah. I mean, he's not only playing well, but he's making some high, you know, high, shots with high degree of difficulty. I mean, step back three point jump shots, you know, when you're guarding, uh, in and out of dribbles into a step back three. I mean, those are very difficult shots. I mean, that's high level uh, NBA type stuff. Yep. He's making some of those, co- uh, those shots. And, uh, and in crucial times of the game as well. So those are very difficult shots to make. So I've really been impressed with not just he's playing well, but the shot making ability. And even sometimes, even when he's you know, heavily guarded as well. Yeah, absolutely. Another guy I want to talk about on this Pirate team is Brandon Johnson. Um, he's showcased an ability to stretch the floor, and it seems like Mike Schwartz wants to work that in a little bit more, and every time they do it, for whatever reason, the shots are not falling. But if you can get a guy like that, a big forward like that, who can stretch the floor and make shots not only beyond the arc but in mid-range, uh, just your experience as a coach and as a player, 
how much of an impact that can that make on the offensive end when you have a forward with that size who can make shots like that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a big neutralizer, particularly when you're playing against the uh, opponents, because he's playing at the five spot, uh, the center for some of these listeners. But it's yeah. um, and some nights he's going to be giving up some inches in that position. But being absolutely. able to stretch the floor, you take that advantage away from the from your opponent because now you're going to take them out to the deep waters in the area on the floor where they're not comfortable with trying to guard them out on the perimeter. And you've seen him be able to do that this year. Not only is he stretching the floor, but now what he's done to his game, he's added being able to dribble drive it from the perimeter. So he stretches the floor. They close out on him aggressively. He drives by the big guys, and he's getting to the rim to make make plays or get fouled. So it's something he's added to his game. It's really impressive to see. Uh, I would like to see him uh, score the ball a little bit more in the paint because he can do that. And uh, he needs to sit down a little bit more in the post. I'm coaching right now. He needs to sit down in the post a little bit more right now. He's a little too upright. And when you're upright, he just pushes off a little too far out. And then he's got to try to crab dribble back down and it's taking too long. He's got to get down lower, post up stronger because he's got a really nice jump hook and he can score on some of the guys he's playing against, particularly when teams counter and they try to put a smaller defender on him because he's causing problems for the big 6'9", 6'10", kids. Absolutely. Getting a little off topic here, I want to talk a little bit about the conference. A lot of people believe this is a conference this year that could be one of the more competitive conferences in the uh, in the nation, really, and I agree. And there's even some media pundits claiming this could be a four-bid league. Do you see that the case? And they're throwing in there Tulane, Memphis, Houston, and Cincinnati. And what have you seen from conference play so far? Wichita State? kind of uh, surprising a lot of people here of late. Just talk a little about the American Conference and the level of competition they have going into this year. Great conference. I think it's really early to be talking about four-bid league. Absolutely. And I know some of that talk was out there the last couple of weeks, and I think after this past weekend, a couple of teams in the league had some tough losses. So I think they're kind of reeling that back in a little bit. Very tough league, though. And, again, potential for four league for four NCAA big um, bid teams – uh, it's a really quality league. Obviously, Houston is the cream of the crop, but Memphis is very, very good. We know that. I mean, yep. You can just uh, Penny does a terrific job coaching them up, and he and he recruits at a you know a big time level. So you're going to have something special when you combine high level recruits, top 100, top 50, top 25 players with good coaching. Typically, the results are something special, and that's what Memphis had last year. Obviously, Houston has it every year. The number one team in the country right now. And uh, Tulane is really good. Uh, Cincinnati is good. I mean, it's a lot of good teams. Central Florida is trending up. They're going to be a problem going forward. So it's a lot of good teams in this league. Wichita State, I watched them against a really good Richmond team. You know, that went to double overtime with um, Syracuse. And uh, Wichita State went into Richmond and beat them there. So Wichita State's a quality team as well. They've rebounded well from a tough year last year. So it's quality teams across the spectrum. Temple is really good. I mean, they got two of the best scorers in the country, let alone this league. Yep. So it's going to be a tough league now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get into this Campbell game because we probably won't talk to you before that game. Campbell is an interesting uh, opponent, really, because they run that Princeton-style offense, you know, constant motion, backdoor cuts, picks on and off the ball, and you have to have disciplined shot selection. What kind of problems when you play an offense like that can pose to a defensive-minded team like the Pirates? Well, first of all, if you can, if you can avoid it, you try not to play Campbell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. yeah, it's a Princeton offense, and and the coach there uh, was uh, he worked with Chris Mooney at University of Richmond, who pr- played at Princeton, 
and was a disciple of Pete Corral. Uh, oh, did we lose him? Says he's on the line, but I can't. Oh, there he is. We almost lost you there. For they coach, go ahead. Yeah, they do a terrific job with that uh, Princeton offense. You know, the thing about the Princeton offense is that that's a game in which your team has to, and, and your players have to buy into actually defending somewhat unconventionally. Yep. Because you have to kind of reel it back. You can't really pressure them uh, all over the floor and overextend yourself because you buy into the strengths of this offense. So you actually have to try to tell your team to kind of play unconventional defense. And that's very difficult because you, you've disciplined them to be conventional and very sound. Yep. And then you're going to have an opponent you're going to play and you're going to say, hey, look, you can't overextend yourself defensively. You can't, uh, you can't pressure too far away from the basket. Um, you're going to have to like allow sometimes for guys to come into you as opposed to you trying to take things away from them. So it's, 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 it's a reverse. Nope, I think. In terms of how you play this team, and that's what makes it very difficult. Yeah, I, that's definitely an interesting game. I'm really looking forward to that matchup and see how Mike Schwartz and his group responds. Wrapping up here, getting into South Carolina State, really good offensive rebounding team. I found this quick kind of interesting stat here, um, just browsing around and doing my research. They're number one in the country when it comes to uh, two-point shot attempts per game. So I'm thinking you're going to have to have a big game from the forwards tonight. Kind of what are the keys of the game against South Carolina State, and what's your scouting report on the Bulldogs? Well, they're probably number one on the two-point shooting because they're not shooting the three-point. Yeah, exactly. Well yeah. At all. And they're probably saying, don't shoot the threes, just shoot all two because we're miserable shooting the three. Yeah, yeah. It kind of works both ways. But I'll tell you what, against this team, very dangerous team, uh, for people out there to see that they're 0-7, don't be fooled by that. Tough you know, Typically, a lot of these HBCU schools have to play all these money guarantee games. So they haven't played a game at home yet. I mean, yep. they've played seven games so far. All of them have been on the road. You're playing Kentucky, Wake Forest, uh, Western Kentucky, and South Carolina, all basically high-powered teams. And then the teams that you aren't like those monsters, yep. uh, then you're playing people like uh, Duquesne and North Florida and, you know, really good basketball teams. And basically, you know, they've got you know, blown out of your team and they've been competitive against, you know, the mid-major teams. A really good test tonight against South Carolina State, and don't be fooled by that 0-7. You see a lot of good basketball teams, particularly in those H- in those HBCU schools, that have to play basically all the out-of-conference games on a row to be able to help pay the bills around the campus. Yep. So it's not a real true indication of how good this team is. They're very aggressive, uh, very athletic, and they've got a lot of guys that can do what I call, you know, really break you down in, in, in one-on-one, and that's been a challenge for the Pirates right now, guarding one-on-one, particularly when the guys have a lot of shake to their game. When they can really uh, face it with their dribbles and their body movement, those guys are very difficult to guard. And this team has a team full of guys like this. So it's going to be a challenge guarding those guys one-on-one. Coach, really great stuff there. We're looking forward to you on the broadcast call later tonight at 6.30 with Jeff Charles. Always some great stuff there. Good luck tonight, my friend, and uh, appreciate you having on having, or coming on. Excuse me. See you guys tonight. Yep, take it easy. That was Coach Michael Perry with us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. He'll be on the call tonight at 6.30 between the ECU Pirates and South Carolina State in Minji's Coliseum on the radio broadcast right here on 94.3 The Game with Jeff Charles. Coming up. 
We'll have a quick sports update with Philip the Ref Pilkington on the other side of this quick timeout. Philip Pilkington here with your 94-3 The Game Sports Update. We will start in Pirate News as volleyball freshman Angelis Aldrit has been named the Freshman of the Year in the American Athletic Conference. She was also named to the second team all-conference list. Today on social media, Pirate football player Xavier Smith announced that he will his time with the Pirate program is done. The fifth-year senior started his career as a tight end before moving to linebacker. This was his last year of eligibility. Tonight, ECU basketball takes on South Carolina. Carolina State at 7 o'clock right here on 94.3 The Game. Coverage will start at 6.30. Today, the U.S. men's national team won their final group stage game of the World Cup to advance to the knockout stage with a one to nothing win over Iran. Hershey, Pennsylvania's Christian Pulisic scored in the 38th minute, but he paid the price as he suffered an abdominal injury and did not return for the second half. The U.S. will play the Netherlands at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Update. More of the Pirate Game Day Countdown basketball pre-show on the other side of this timeout. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Barm filling in for the P-Man as we get set for the call later tonight on ESPN+. Plus Between the ECU Pirates and the South Carolina State Bulldogs, that comes your way live at 7 on ESPN+. Plus. Patrick Johnson and Cy Seymour providing you live play-by-play TV coverage. And then we're leading you in a network coverage at 6.30 with the voice of the Pirates, Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry, who we heard previously on the show. Special thanks to him for joining us. Very great stuff there. Coach Michael Perry. Let's take a look around the AAC when it comes to basketball. And obviously, the big news coming from the conference this week is something I've been came is something I've been campaigning for heavy uh, since the beginning of the season. That's the fact Houston's number one in the country in the AP and the coaches poll uh, so far six and zero on the season. And you look at this Houston team; it's a team that does not have a lot of holes whatsoever. And you look at the players that are on this team right now on any given night, anybody, any. On any given night, on the any given night, any guy could step up and just be a huge factor. Marcus Sasser, the senior guard, six foot one guard um, from Texas, really been the stalwart so far for the Houston Cougars, scoring seventeen points or averaging seventeen points, three point seven rebounds and two point eight assists. He's looking like he's going to be the American Conference Player of the Year um, just early on right now. I mean, he looks like a huge front runner. And he looked like up. Then you look at the other guys up and down this roster, very balanced scoring outside of Marcus Sasser. You got Drace Walker, freshman forward um, from Pennsylvania, was ranked as the eighth best prospect in the top 100 of the 2022 class out of IMG Academy. He's from Pennsylvania. He's from Pennsylvania. He's averaging 10.5 points, 6.8 rebounds, 1.3 assists. So a lengthy forward who can get boards, who can score. It's definitely odd. Definitely a guy to keep an eye on when it comes to the all-freshman team. And a couple other players that have really stood out for Houston so far. you got Traymond Mark, a junior guard, six foot five, very lengthy. And that's usually what Houston basketball is uh, built on. Guards who can play like forwards and uh, just lengthy team up and down that roster. He could really kill you on the boards and getting rebounds and on the defensive end. But when you look at Traymond Mark, the six foot five guard, out of Texas, averaging nine point seven points, four point five rebounds, and an assist. And much like Jarace Walker, Traymond Mark is a highly touted recruit and prospect. Um, he came out of the twenty twenty class though, um, and was the seventy fifth best prospect out of the top one hundred. So a guy that stuck around. And then you're looking at Tarrant, 
And then, excuse me here, but you're looking at Terrence Arsenio. I'm going to say Arsenio, freshman guard, six foot five, another lengthy guard out of Texas. On the out of the 2022 class, he was the 45th. He was the 45th best prospect. He's averaging 7.5, 4.7 rebounds, and 0.3 assists. Another guy to look forward to when it comes to the freshman team. Um, just have a lot of great freshmen up and down this roster. And then there's a junior forward who's six foot seven out of the Virgin Islands who's averaging 9.7 points, 7.2 rebounds, and an assist. And that's Jawan Roberts. He's been really good this year, a very balanced playmaker for Houston. And just they have really good uh, bench depth. Something that also stands out to me is Jamal Sheed, who's a junior guard, six foot one. Coming off the bench, he's averaging seven points, 2.8 rebounds, and 5.3 assists. That's very productive numbers for a guy coming off the bench so far. Um, also taking a deeper dive into these Cougars under uh, Kelvin Sampson, who's a North Carolina native here. Uh, the Cougars, I mentioned it earlier, don't really have um, a lot of holes when it comes to their game. Um, one thing you can take into account when it comes to what could possibly be a hole for the Cougars is something that definitely should be concerning for um, Kelvin Sampson's group right now, and that's the fact that they have a lot of turnovers. They force a lot of is the fact that they have a lot of turnovers, especially on offense. They're prone to turnovers, something maybe ECU can capitalize on later in the year with that great defense they have going on right now. But they're 285th in the country out of 300-something-so teams in turnovers per game. They average about 11.7 turnovers per game, so definitely not great there. But they are 42nd in the country when it comes to total turnovers with 70. So, yes, if you can capitalize – on, de- on your defense playing the Houston Cougars, things can happen, and I think we can potentially see an upset very soon against the Cougars, a hole that could be exposed. Looking at how the Cougars have played so far this season, um, not the most impressive um, games or levels of opponents that they've played so far this year. Just taking a quick look at the level of competition the Houston Cougars have played so far this year. you got Northern Colorado, St. Joseph's, who's a pretty solid team at a neutral site, or Roberts, Texas Southern, Oregon. That was a big win for them over Oregon. Oregon um, had a lot of preseason acclaim coming out of the Pac-12, but has suffered a couple of losses and uh, not doing so great as of late. And something that kind of exposed the Cougars here recently, nonetheless they were able to earn the number one team in the country nod, was they really struggled against Kent State. Kent State, as we know, coming out of the MAC, um, only won that game 49-44. to which is definitely very concerning. Low number of score and Kent State, whatever they were doing on defense, um, really worked against the Cougars. And that's a game we're definitely going to have to take a deeper dive on. And uh, I'll make an article on the website, 94.3 The Game. Um, I call it Around the AAC, where every couple of weeks we check in on the conference opponents and what they're doing. And I'm definitely on this next one. That should be put up maybe either tomorrow or Thursday. And around the AAC, but I'm going to take a deeper dive in that Kent State game and really see what went wrong for the Cougars in that game. So look forward to that at 94throughthegame.com. We also have bowl projections for the Pirates, all of them, out of all major media outlets, all of them on one place and one article on 94throughthegame.com. So be sure to check that out. And it's on our social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at 943thegame. Looking at elsewhere in the conference right now, Central Florida. Off to a pretty solid start. They're 5-2 and two on the season. As we know, um, Brandon Suggs is on that team for the Central Florida Knights. Johnny Dawkins, a really good head coach. Um, this is a team that might be a sleeper in the American this year. Um, 
Nothing's really stood out to me when it comes to uh, Central Florida. They've played in some very gritty, close games that they probably shouldn't be in close competitive matchups against when it comes to their when it comes to their opponent mainly. But um, really, the, the the guy that has really stood out for South Florida this year is Taylor Hendricks. He's a freshman forward. He's six foot nine, very lengthy, averaging fourteen point seven points, seven point three rebounds, and point seven assists. Might be the freshman player of the year um, in the conference if he keeps it up. Out of the 2022 class, he was the 46th best prospect in the nation out of Fort Lauderdale. So Taylor Hendricks really getting that program together. Something to also consider about this uh, this Knights team right now is the fact that they're a very experienced group. Just looking at their roster right now, they have six seniors on their roster right now, including Brandon Suggs, the ECU transfer, who's averaging 8.3 points, 4.7 rebounds and 1.3 assists. So good to see Brandon Suggs doing pretty well. I hate he transferred into an in-conference foe, but it's always good to see a former Pirate thriving elsewhere nonetheless, so we can't, can't get him to thrive here. So that's the verdict on Johnny Dawkins' team. Very experienced group, and I think that's kind of what has uh, elevated them above the rest, especially against the lower level of competition and non-conference play, is the fact they have such an experienced group, even if it's just experienced transfers coming in. That's really just kind of propelled them to uh, some pretty gritty wins. It's just the experience factor alone. Also looking in the conference, some guys that were – some teams that were some preseason darlings, not faring too well right now. East Carolina, as it stands, third in the standings. Um, but followed by them is Tulane. Tulane was a preseason darling and a dark horse coming out of the American, coming into the season. And Tulane, I don't want to say is disappointed because they've played in some tough games. But – um. Not even saying that's a team that needs to be undefeated right now, but um, you just really haven't got a lot from Tulane that you're expecting from them. Uh, the guys that really stand out on this team right now is Jalen Forbes and Kevin Cross, some guys that have been with Tulane for a couple years now, and uh, the Pirates are all too familiar with Jalen Forbes, a six foot five guard. He could play like a forward, and he's a forward that could play like a guard, but he's a guard right now. He was ninety eighth out of the top 100 in the 2019 class. He's averaging 18 points, 4.9 rebounds, and 1.9 assists. Then you look at Kevin Cross, the forward, forward who's six foot eight out of Little Rock, Arkansas, averaging 16.4 points, 6 rebounds, and 4.1 assists. Um, one guy that's really kind of um, emerged and surprised a lot of people on this Green Wave team is Colin Holloway. He's a junior forward right now, six foot six. He's averaging 14.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, and 0.5 assists. A guy that kind of seemingly came out of nowhere, not to say Colin Holloway was a bad player previously for the Green Wave, but uh, he was a guy that would average a solid nine points uh, at Georgetown coming out of the transfer portal. Um, and then he just kind of came to Tulane and really stepped it up in non-conference play. We'll see that will carry over in conference play. And then the guy that was kind of the darling for the Green Wave in terms of when it comes to who's going to be the AAC Player of the Year, if anyone had the potential to be the AAC Player of the Year on this Green Wave team, was Jalen Cook. Obviously, you know, last year, Parts, all too familiar with Jalen Cook, had some insane games against the Parts in the past. Jalen Cook, a sophomore guard, six foot out of Louisiana, averaging 18.5 points, no rebounds, and 5.5 assists. He's been very spotty here of recently. You know, he's very been very inconsistent, but when he does score... He scores in numbers, and he's effective from beyond three-point range. To give you the numbers here when it comes to Jalen Cook and his three-point shooting, um, just a very good three-point shooter. 
taking a look at the numbers, he averages 42.9% from three-point range, so an absolute sniper from beyond the arc and something to keep an eye on. I think that's a very appealing look when it comes to his pro potential. And I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that Jalen Cook's going to be an NBA guy or even a lottery guy or even drafted in the first round, but I think he's a guy that definitely is going to get some looks when it comes to the pro ranks just because of his three-point shooting alone and the fact that he's a high-level scorer. Tulane is a high-scoring team, has a lot of a lot of scores up and down that roster who uh, score at a high level up in the 18s and the teens. So Tulane, a dangerous team, and uh, have a really good coach in Ron Hunter. Ron Hunter, don't want to say he's a front-runner for coach of the year. You never could be front-runner for coach of the year when Kelvin Sampson's in the conference. But nonetheless, Ron Hunter, if there was a – Award for second place for Coach of the Year. Ron Hunter would definitely have that locked up for sure. We'll see. There's a lot of basketball to be played. Ron Hunter could sneak in and shock the world in this conference and get this Tulane team rolling. But uh, right now, really great coach with some really good players up and down that roster. If there's any critique on Tulane, outside of their starting five, not a lot of scoring coming off the bench. The next best scorer coming off the bench is a sophomore forward in Tylen Pope. Louisiana, who's averaging about 5.7 points. He's the best scorer coming off the bench. So definitely concerned. They don't have a lot of depth. But nonetheless, Tulane, a dangerous team in the American that everybody should keep an eye on. Taking a look on who they've played so far this year, when you look at this Tulane Green Wave team, who's really thrived so far. UMBC, McNeese State, Charleston Southern, Nevada, Rhode Island, Western Kentucky is a great team coming out of Conference USA and Louisiana Monroe. So they haven't really been challenged so far this year, but nonetheless have taken a loss to Nevada and Western Kentucky. Um, coming up, they'll play Fordham. The Paladins, who are a really great team out of the Southern, I believe, who are kind of a uh, tournament fixture here of late. And then outside of that, not really any great non-conference opponents. So they haven't really been tested so far in non-conference play. So it's interesting to see how they would uh, adapt to once we get in the conference play and how if Tulane thrives or not. Taking a look elsewhere at the standings, Memphis follows them. Memphis, another highly touted team coming into the year. And that's mainly because of their center in DeAndre Williams. He's a senior forward, six foot nine, plays the five, though, averaging 13 points, 7.3 rebounds, 2.5 assists. If you were to look at this roster and pick a guy who's probably going to go pro, Memphis is known for getting guys to go to the NBA or getting guys drafted. He's probably going to be the guy. Um, the big problem, the big storyline with the Tigers right now is if DeAndre Williams is willing to accept that role and can be the leader on that team. And they've had some growing pains with that so far. Another guy, um, the reigning AAC player of the year on the Memphis Tigers. He's their leading scorer and Kendrick Davis coming from SMU. SMU obviously getting rid of their coach, and now they have a first-year head coach at the helm. But uh, Kendrick Davis from Houston um, averages 19.5 points, four rebounds, and 5.5 assists. Gunning for a back-to-back AAC Player of the Year. Just a matter if the Memphis Tigers can live up to expectations would depend on if he gets that award or not. Outside of that, um, some balanced scoring, but not great scoring outside of those two. Keontae Kennedy averaging 17.5 points. He's a senior guard. Alex Lomax, senior guard, averaging 7.2. And then outside of that, everybody's averaging around 5 to the 4-point range. But... If there's one big takeaway when it comes to this Memphis Tigers team is they're also very experienced, probably the most experienced team when you look at uh, just uh, their class, the class of their players um, on this team. A lot of seniors so far 
um, up and down this roster. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven seniors on the Memphis Tigers. So a very experienced group that could potentially be dangerous in a conference like the American. A tough conference, nonetheless. But experienced groups in the American tend to thrive, and uh, Memphis could be potentially very dangerous under Penny Hardaway. Um, and they could potentially have a better season than the disappointing season they had last year, which I think um, even just getting into uh, the tournament or even getting deep into the conference championship uh, would be a step up. That uh, that Memphis Tigers team last year, very disappointing with Imani Bates and Jalen Duran. That was a team – a lot of people expected to win the conference and uh, make some noise in the uh, con- not the conference tournament, but the NCAA tournament. Obviously, that didn't come into fruition. But they've played Vanderbilt so far, got a big win over Vanderbilt out of the SEC. Played St. Louis, who St. Louis, if they're not ranked right now, they should be ranked. St. Louis, a very good team right now. They lost to St. Louis 90 to 84. They beat VCU. VCU is another team you should not sleep on. Doing very, very well this year. On um, VCU, I expect them to be a tournament team. Lost to Seton Hall. We know Seton Hall is a very good basketball school. Only by a point seventy to sixty nine. Beat Nebraska. Beat Stanford. Then they'll have to play Ole Miss coming up. Auburn coming up. Alabama coming up. Texas A and M. So they have a really tough non conference schedule, and I'm interested to see how they close off that non conference schedule and fare against these bigger non conference opponents. I think that's how we'll really tell if this Memphis team is tough or not. And what I like about that non conference schedule is this team's going to be battle hardened coming in to conference play and that could either be a bad thing or a good thing a good thing that they could be depleted mentally or that they could use that to their advantage with all the experience they have on the roster looking elsewhere in the standings you got Wichita State who's kind of surprising people they are six in the standings right now Wichita State uh, kind of got a raw deal in the offseason you know still trying to build with their new coach right now in Isaac Brown um, they're four and two so far this year. This is a group that's really predicated and led by Craig Porter, who's the senior guard, six foot two out of Indiana, averaging 13.8 points. And get this, 7.2 rebounds. Um, not a lengthy guard, but uh, has a lot of hustle in him, makes a lot of hustle plays. And that's why you see a lot of rebounds on his part. Just plays very hard um, at the guard position. Want to go in there and get rebounds and averages 3.8 assists. Craig Porter, um, a fun player to watch and a guy definitely to keep an eye on. Outside of that, nobody else is really standing out. They got Jaquan Walton, a junior forward, six foot seven. Um, he was ranked 75th out of 100 in the 2019 class, and he's averaging 13.2 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 1.3 assists. But this team is really predicated on rebounding. That's the big. Uh, that's really the big. Um, game plan when it comes to the Wichita State Wheat Shockers. So we'll see how that plays in their favor. Looking at who they've played so far and the caliber of opponents they've played so far, not the best. They played Central Arkansas, Alcorn State, took a loss to Alcorn State, which was not a good look. Beat Richmond. Richmond has a really good program going on right now. A team that's kind of disappointed in the past, not making the uh, NCAA tournament, but nonetheless still a tough team. Grand Canyon, team that's made the tournament in the past. They beat Grand Canyon. They beat Richmond. Lost to San Francisco, who I believe is undefeated on the season so far. And the Dons, uh, a really tough team out of the Western Conference. Um, they're 6-1 six, they're six and one right now. So San Francisco's only loss right now this year is to, let me get it pulled up here, Davidson, which we know Davidson. Um, just as Pirate fans here, Davidson is always a tough team. Um, outside of that, they played Tarleton State. 
um, and obviously beat Tarleton State. So Wichita State making some noise. This is a tough conference. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. This might be one of the tougher conferences in the country. Then really the big disappointment so far out of the American is Cincinnati. I wasn't buying into the preseason Cincinnati hype, a team I thought was heavily overrated under Wes Miller, the former UNCG head coach. But the good news about Cincinnati is they, a lot of their uh, very productive uh, guys from last year returned to this year. David DeJulius, um, Landers Nolly is a really good transfer for them. Uh, Jeremiah Davenport is back. So they have a lot of experienced returners coming back. And all three of those guys are seniors right now. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Landers Nolly, who's uh, bounced around in college basketball so far, he was at Memphis for a bit, and before that was at Virginia. <clears throat> before that was at Virginia Tech. Landers Nolly finally putting together. He was always a highly touted um, transfer, but didn't really live up to expectations with Memphis. I would say, especially last year, only averaged nine point eight when he was averaging thirteen point one his first year of Memphis and fifteen and a half for Virginia Tech. But with Cincinnati's averaging sixteen, on pace to have his best uh, season so far with Cincinnati, and then David DeJulius uh, has really just been the guy for Cincinnati these past few years. Uh, DeJulius has had some big games so far for Cincinnati, and the big verdict on Cincinnati so far, and I'll talk about this on the Around the AAC article on our website at 94 through the game, this team is kind of a strange team. Um, they're very uh, chippy on defense, very aggressive on defense, and they score quickly when they have offensive opportunities. Um Despite that, they're only 116th out of 363 teams in the country in points per game with 76. Nonetheless, that's a lot of scoring per game. And uh, this team could be dangerous. I'm just not buying into the preseason hype that they're an NCAA tournament team. But they have well-rounded scoring outside of those top three. And Landers Nolly, David DeJulius, and Victor Lankin, who's a six foot eleven forward, just a monster of a man who's had some big games. He's a Russian um, he's a Russian international student, um, just a very gritty player. But outside of that, uh, another experienced group here with a lot of seniors and a lot of balanced scoring off the bench. Um, definitely a team to keep an eye on, but they have disappointed so far, I would say. And uh, you look at their non-conference play so far and you look at their schedule, they've played Cleveland State, not great. Chaminade, who is a D2 school, Eastern Kentucky, lost to Northern Kentucky which is not good. That Northern Kentucky team is not a great team. Uh, Arizona, lost to Arizona, who's a great team this year. I believe they're ranked, lost to Ohio State, and then beat Louisville. So they've had a tough non-conference schedule. And then coming up, they'll play uh, Xavier. Um, that's a team that's kind of on the outside of the top 25, I believe. And then uh, they'll play Bryant, who Bryant's kind of having a sneaky good year so far, 6-1 and one so far out of the AEC. And um, – Definitely something to keep an eye on when it comes to Cincinnati, a team that a lot of people thought would make this conference a four-bid league this year with Memphis, Tulane, and uh, Houston. A lot of people throw Cincinnati into the mix. I'm not buying it, but nonetheless a good team. Outside of that, SMU 3-3 three and three on the season. Temple 3-4. and four. I Don't even get me started on Temple. A weird team. Nonetheless, Kinston native Damian Dunn off of Temple is having the season of his life so far as really being one of the only like productive scores on that team right now outside of uh, Khalif Battle. Damian Dunn is the second leading scorer of 16.7 points, 3.1 rebounds, 
and 1.6 assists. But there's been a lot of games where Temple's lost and Damian Dunn. There's been a couple games where Temple's lost and Damian Dunn is averaging like, or Damian Dunn's scoring 30 points. So it's definitely cool to see the Kent's the native doing well. I'm not necessarily sold on Aaron McKee as a head coach. Um, you know, he's had some um, just complete, I want to say screw-ups, but he's had some hiccups so far in non-conference play. But Temple, um, a tough out, and they're near the bottom of the conference. Outside of that, Tulsa, not very good this year. They're 2-4. and four. Um, Tulsa um, doesn't have a lot when it comes to scoring from last year. Temple was kind of, not Temple, excuse me, Tulsa was pretty rocked by the transfer portal. I'm looking at the numbers here. Only have 40% of their minutes played returning from last year and 40% of their scoring returner from last year. Not terrible, but uh, not great. Um, there's a lot of teams in this conference that would love to have that. But uh, when you look at this Tulsa team, wasn't a lot of great players on that roster anyways last year. So, I mean, how much does that scoring even matter or factor in? Then South Florida, which I think is completely ridiculous that Brian Gregory is still a head coach in this league. I like Brian Gregory as a person. Had a few interactions with him, uh, a very nice guy. But when you look at the South Florida team, um, not a lot to be excited about, not a lot to be optimistic about. Um, had some tough non-conference games. UAB, who's picked to be the Conference USA champion this year and get into the tournament. And then you got Auburn out of the SEC. But outside of that, they took some bad losses to Southeast Missouri State, and that was a close game. Um, they took a loss to Austin P and Stetson, so that's not very good. And they finally bounced back and beat St. Joseph and St. Francis. Coming up, not a lot of tough teams. So it's a chance for them to go on a little bit of a streak going into the conference play. They play UMass, Charleston Southern, Northern Iowa, Dartmouth, Hofstra, and um, NGIT or NJIT coming up. So they have a chance to get streaking into conference play here, uh, here recently or going in the conference, get streaky coming in the conference play. That's going to do it for your look around the AAC. We'll take an in-depth scatter report on the South Carolina State Bulldogs coming up on the other side of this quick timeout here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Barm filling in for the P-Man and here to wrap it up. Um, taking a look at the scatter report for the South Carolina Bulldogs and focusing in on the matchup tonight. Not a good team out of the MEAC right now under first-year head coach Eric Martin. Martin has an interesting history, was a really good college player and played college ball at TCU before transferring to Santa Ana, uh, a JUCO team, and becoming a first-team All-State selection in the JUCO ranks. He then transferred to Cincinnati in the early 90s and around 92 and led the Bearcats to a Final Four, so he's got the playing pedigree. Then he played professionally overseas for a little bit, and then once it was all said and done with his playing career, Became an assistant mainly under Bob Huggins at uh, Kansas State in West Virginia. So very well-respected assistant coach in the coaching ranks. They believe Coach Martin is the guy to get the job done. And he has the credentials as a first-year guy to potentially be a well-revered head coach out of the MEAC ranks. But right now the Bulldogs are having an 0-7 start. To give them credit, they have probably one of the toughest non-conference schedules I've seen this year for a smaller team like that. Get this, they've played Wake Forest out of the ACC, who's 6-1 and on the season under Scott Forbes so far. Western Kentucky, who's 6-1 and in a really good team out of Conference USA. A lot of college basketball writers predicting Western Kentucky to kind of be a dark horse out of the Conference USA right now. Kentucky, we all know that Kentucky's very talented. We know that the Wildcats 
just how talented they are. And when they played Kentucky, this South Carolina State Bulldogs team, the Wildcats at the time were the fourth-ranked team in the country for what that's worth. And in South Carolina State, uh, they had a really tough competition against South Carolina out of the SEC in the season opener. Gave the Gamecocks all they could handle in that season opener. Gamecocks only went in that game 80-77. to South Carolina, not the best this year out of the SEC, but still would have been a hugely impressive win for the Bulldogs, especially under a first-year uh, coach like Eric Martin in the first year of their kind of rebuild going on. I said first-year rebuild. Well, what happened previously last year to their previous head coach? Well, before we look at anything when it comes to their head coach, the Bulldogs were rocked by the transfer portal. Antonio Madlock, their leading scorer left when head coach Tony Madlock who's related to, I believe that's his father, um, really just Madlock had kind of turned the Bulldogs around when he coached there. Um, bizarrely had the Bulldogs in his first and only years head coach 15-16 and 16 and 7-7 seven and seven in conference play. That was good enough for fifth in the MEAC. So you would think that's a really good start for his first year in the MEAC, turning that program around, finishing fifth in the conference, and ended up 7-7 seven, seven in conference play. But he took a job at Alabama State, and there was a lot of promise in store for the Bulldogs, but he left for Alabama State, which was kind of a head-scratcher. i got to think that has to be a money deal. And of course, if Tony Madlock's leaving, their leading scorer and Antonio Madlock left. Then their second and leading scorers from last year also hit the portal. So if you do all the math and you add it all up, up and down the roster from last year, Bulldogs only have 31% of their scoring returning from last season, and about 30% pre- of their minutes played last year when it comes to all their stars and all their players. About 33% of the minutes that were played last year by players currently on this team have returned from last year. Moving on and taking a look at this current Bulldogs team, they take a lot of shot attempts. Uh, They're first in the country in shot attempts per game from two-point range and fourth in the country in total two-point attempts on the season. So this is going to have to be a Mike Schwartz style of basketball game predicated on defense, especially inside the arc. If the Pirates can shut that down, this game can get out of hand quick and it could be a dominant victory for ECU. It's just a matter of if they can capitalize on those opportunities early and get the scoring going early, which as we know, being Pirate fans and following the Pirates has been an issue so far this year. We need a big game from our forwards defensively, especially when it comes to crashing the glass and getting rebounds on the defensive end. Bulldogs have been very effective at getting second-chance opportunities and getting offensive boards. It's something Mike Schwartz had said previously, and you heard it previously in the show. He's very concerned about when it comes to the South Carolina State Bulldogs team. They've been very effective at second-chance opportunities and getting the offensive boards. They're 16th in the country in offensive rebounds per game and 20th in the country in total rebounds on the season. Two guys to look out for on the Bulldogs is surprisingly their guards. You would think a team that's predicated on rebounding uh, their forwards will be really the guys you need to keep your eyes on. No, their guards are, uh, I don't want to say phenomenal, but been the leading scorers and really been the factor on this team so far. And take that for what it's worth for a winless team right now. But two of their leading scorers are guards, and the leading scorer is six foot two sophomore guard Lasone Helms. Not a lengthy guy, but an effective shooter who makes about a third of his threes and about 50% of his shots. Then junior guard Cameron Jones, who's a lengthy 6'6 guard who averaged almost 11 last season. He's averaging about nine this year. The biggest critique on Cameron Jones is the fact he's a guard that rarely takes threes. As a matter of fact, he's 0% from three-point range this year on very limited attempts. 
He's a guy that drives a lot to the basket. So once again, we need a big game from our forwards and especially defensively inside in the paint from the Pirates. That's a quick look at your scouting report for the South Carolina State Bulldogs team. Tip-off is set for 7 o'clock. We'll throw it over to the network here in just a matter of minutes. Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry on the call for ECU versus South Carolina State in Menji's Coliseum. Be sure to check them out in just a matter of minutes. Also, be sure to check out Patrick Jonathan and Seymour live at 7 o'clock on ESPN+, Plus as they'll bring you live play-by-play coverage on TV, on ESPN+. Plus. Always do a great job there. And Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry always do a good job. Special thanks to Phil, the ref, Pilkington, producing today. Special thanks to Chris Cook for providing some production assistance. And we look forward to the call of Patrick Johnson and Sai Seymour and Jeff Charles and Michael Perry. Special thanks to Coach Michael Perry for joining us earlier in the day. It was a huge get for me. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Very knowledgeable guy, especially when it comes to just not college basketball, but ECU basketball as a whole. So special thanks to all of them. We'll be back at it live at 5 tomorrow. Patrick Johnson will return. And we have a big guest in store for tomorrow. Brett McMurphy of the Action Network will join us. He has ECU playing Syracuse in the Fenway Bowl. He's already got a spread set up for that game. He's got it as a PK, which means that neither team is heavily favored in that game. It's almost dead even. So definitely something to keep an eye on to check out tomorrow. Brettman Murphy live at 5 with Patrick Johnson tomorrow. I was Ben Byron filling in hosting for the P-Man here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Reminding you to stay safe and go Pirates. Guten Tag. <laughs> 